Good morning. If you don't care, go ahead and be opening your Bibles up to Jonah, please. We're going to spend basically the entire time in the book of Jonah this morning. So go ahead and be having your Bibles open. You shouldn't have to do much flipping around. I mean, Jonah's not a very big book, just four chapters. Um, while you're turning there, I'll, I'll just let you know I'm going to do something a little different this morning than I've, than I've ever done preaching before. Um, one thing I've always tried to do uh, when I prepared a lesson is I tried to create every one of my lessons from scratch. I tried not to use somebody else's outline and do something that somebody else had already done. Now, obviously, I would go and I would use resources to pull in some information, but I tried to create my own. This morning, I'm not doing that. Um, the, the lesson I'm going to preach this morning, I've entitled it Jonah's Final Chapter. And this is a sermon that was preached last month uh, by Adam Fawn down at the congregation he preaches at in Haleyville, Alabama. It's the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. And you may recognize his name. We've used several of his uh, articles he's written in our bulletin. Um, his brother, Jeremiah Tatum's brother-in-law, and kind of spearheads the legacy of faith, um, email newsletters and podcasts and stuff. And I actually contacted him and asked him if I could use his sermon, and he said he was okay with that. So um, I, I was fascinated by what he was able to present, and I thought it was something that everybody needed to hear. Um, we've all heard the story of Jonah. I mean, it's, it's one of those probably childhood memories you have in Bible class growing up as a kid that you always hear about the story of Jonah. There's so many vacation Bible schools that have been built around it. I mean, it's the fascinating imagery and the idea of somebody being swallowed by a fish and lived to tell about it. I mean, it's, as a child, that's fascinating. You know, it, and it almost seems at times we may have kind of a cartoonish image of it in our head because of that. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we learn of this story of, of disobedience and then repentance. This story of fear that ends in triumph. We, we all know the story, so we're not going to read through all of, all of Jonah. But just to kind of recap it, I mean, God talks to Jonah as, as a prophet and says, Look, I need you to go over to this, this city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them. And Jonah doesn't do it. Not only does he leave to go to Tarshish instead, boards a boat to go, but Tarshish was completely the opposite direction of Nineveh from where he was at. Completely disobeyed God. So he gets on this ship, he pays his fare, gets in, they go out on the sea, and the waves and the wind just become tumultuous. It starts tossing the ship around, and, and all the people on board the ship, they start praying to their various gods, hoping somebody would, would make the storm go away. Well, they go find Jonah. He's asleep. They wake him up, tell him he needs to pray to his god, and all come to find out it was because of Jonah why the, why the sea was doing this. And so what happens to Jonah? They throw him overboard. And when they do it, the, the wind and the waves, they stop. Now, Jonah, he didn't just drown out in the sea. God prepared this great fish to come and swallow Jonah up, basically to protect him in the, the fish's belly. And so all of Jonah chapter 2 is this prayer that Jonah pr prays to God while he's inside the fish. And at the end of the prayer, end of chapter 2, God tells that fish to spit Jonah out. So after three days in the belly of the fish, this fish spits Jonah out on dry land, and God says, all right, let's try this again. Go preach to Nineveh. So Jonah goes this time. He goes on to Nineveh. In chapter 3, the beginning of it, he goes and he preaches to them. And the king hears about it. And there's this decree that's claimed or proclaimed throughout all the land of Nineveh. And in verse, or chapter 3, verse 7, let's start reading there. 
It says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon him, and he did not do it. Such a wonderful story, and it's almost like this happily ever after story that we're taught as children. And that's typically where we end the lesson, that everybody goes on to live a great life. Nineveh is now saved from God's wrath, that Jonah finally repented, and he went and did what God told him to do, and everything's just happy from then on. But if you look in your Bibles, you notice there's another chapter. That's not where the story of Jonah ends at. That's typically where we stop when we're teaching children, but it continues on. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, is is what really is this final chapter of Jonah about? Does it maybe go in and summarize Jonah's life, kind of tell what happened to him after that? And kind of he went on to become an old man and have a family and do all this. What this fourth chapter really does is I think gives us a deeper insight into Jonah as a person. Into what he really felt inside of his heart. And I personally, and this is just my opinion, I think we can take a bigger lesson from Jonah chapter 4 than we can from chapters 1 through 3 combined. So let's look at that this morning. All right, so let's go back and read chapter 3 verse 10 again. And continue on into chapter 4. It says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What? Let's, re- let's read that again. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What in the world is he doing? That's not the Jonah that I remember. I remember Jonah going and he, re- he repented. He went and finally did what God told him to do. He saved an entire city and everything's great from then on. What in the world? Why, why is Jonah mad about this? What could have possibly been wrong with Nineveh being saved? Well, let's take a step back then. And I want us to, to kind of set the groundwork for the history of Nineveh who they were as a people, and then we'll kind of get into what hopefully understand maybe a little bit of why Jonah felt this way, and then the lesson God taught him because of that. Back in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, let's look at that together. It says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. All right, so I brought something with me I wanted to read real quick. I don't know if any of you ever ever heard of the Matthew Henry commentary of the entire Bible, of the complete Bible. And it's a commentary that's very easy to find online. And I was reading a little bit about it, about Nineveh, and I wanted to read to you what they said about it. Um, And before I start reading, it it uses the word forlong in here a lot. It's a a length of distance, um, a measure of distance. And it says about eight furlongs is a mile, so just so you know what that is. All right, it says, The greatness of Nineveh consisted chiefly in the extent of it. It was much larger than Babylon, such a city as no man ever after built. It was 150 furlongs long and 90 broad, and 480 in compass, the walls 100 feet high and so thick that three chariots might go abreast upon them. 
On them were 1,500 towers, each of them 200 feet high. It is here said to be of three days' journey, for the compass of the walls, as some relate, was 480 furlongs, which, allowing eight furlongs to a mile, makes 60 miles, which may well be reckoned three days' journey for a footman traveling 20 miles a day. Or walking slowly and gravely as Jonah must when he went about preaching, it would take him up at least three days to go through all the principal streets and lanes of the city to proclaim his message that all might have notice of it. That's a very brief description about how big and immense Nineveh was. It wasn't just some small village that you just kind of pass through in a day's time and you kind of talk to a few people and then lunchtime you go on to the next one. This is a big place. And not long after the story of Jonah would have happened, Nineveh actually became the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The king of Assyria moved his kingdom, his throne he sat on in Nineveh. That's what kind of city this was. And I know everybody's probably heard of the, the Hanging Gardens um, of Babylon. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's actually one of the only ones that archaeologists don't exactly agree where it existed. They don't exactly know where it was at. A lot of archaeologists believe it was actually in Nineveh, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so the, the architecture, the structures, the, the aqueducts that they would have had to have to to be able to sustain something like that was just, it was immense. So this was no small place, but it's not just that. It's the Assyrian Empire. If you know anything about them, remember them from history, these were some very brutal people. These aren't just your every run-of-the-day army. These are people that were vicious, that tortured their enemies. It, I've read stories about when they would go out and they would conquer another area, another kingdom, that they would take the king from that other kingdom, they would behead him, take his head and put it on a pole in the middle of Nineveh. Put it in the middle of the town and then eventually hang his head from one of the city gates so everybody could see it. That's who Nineveh was. That's who these people were that Jonah was going to talk to. And so we're always taught that when, when Jonah disobeyed God the first time and he left and went to Tarshish, that he was possibly scared. He didn't want to go do this. And if, if you know about Assyria, that makes sense know about the Assyrian Empire. Let's keep reading, though. Go back to Jonah chapter 4. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Now listen to what he says in verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh Lord, was it not this what I said when I was in my country still? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better to me to die than to live. Jonah said, God, I knew it. I knew this is what you were going to do. I knew if I came here to Nineveh and I preached to these people, you were going to forgive them. That's why I went to Tarshish. These people don't deserve your mercy. Have you not seen what they've done? How brutal these people are. I knew good and well if I came up here, you were slow to anger and you were going to forgive them. That's why Jonah got mad. He didn't think these people in Nineveh deserved God's grace and mercy that he had received because of the kind of people that they were. Begin reading, or continue reading in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? We're going to come back to that question here in a minute, so remember that. Let's keep reading verse 5. 
says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would come of that city. Basically, Jonah went to go get a front row seat to their destruction. I mean, he just went into the city and proclaimed that in 40 days, God was going to destroy him. He may have been imagining Sodom and Gomorrah. He was sitting there waiting for the hellfire and brimstone to rain down from heaven, and he was going to get a front row seat. Get his popcorn out and watch. Watch these brutal people get destroyed like they should have been. You know, but God's getting ready to teach Jonah a very valuable lesson, and I hope it's a lesson that we can learn from as Christians today as well. Let's read in verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And when the Bible says there that he was very grateful for it, the, the original Hebrew word it uses actually means he rejoiced. He was joyous of having this plant next to him. It's something that he needed right then. I mean, there was nothing else in the world that could have made him any happier at that moment than that plant made him. But in verse 7, it says that God sent a worm to eat that plant. And he ate it so bad, the worm did, that the plant withered up and died. And then in verse 8, look at what it said that God did to Jonah. He brought this, this awful, vehement wind to come and beat against Jonah while he's sitting out there watching or hoping to watch the destruction of Nineveh. He has the sun brutally beating down upon Jonah. Even to the point in verse 8, it says that Jonah became faint. So it wasn't just he sat out there for a little while and he got thirsty. This, this made his body weary. This is how brutal of an atmosphere that Jonah was sitting in. And again, it made Jonah angry. It made him frustrated at God that why in the world was this happening to him. Verse 9, look at what God says to him. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, have you ever been talking to someone, you're having a conversation with them, and, and you're maybe not getting exactly what they're saying, and so they kind of take a step back and they say it to you in another way, maybe metaphorically or something, and it clicks. You finally put the pieces together and it makes sense. To me, that's what Jonah should have realized when God asked him the second time, do you have a right to be angry about this plant? That's the, is it not the same question that, John, that God had just asked Jonah back in verse 4? says, do you have a right to be angry? To me, this should have been a light bulb moment right then for Jonah. He should have realized what God was getting at and took a step back. But not Jonah. Jonah wasn't about to have that. Listen to what Jonah responds to God. Continue on in verse 9. And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Jonah cared so much about that plant and that plant's dying. God taking that away from him, that wasn't fair. That was not fair that God allowed that plant to die and for Jonah to have to suffer through what he's going through at that moment. Listen to how God responds to Jonah now. Let's read verse 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. You know, God basically tells Jonah at this point, he's like, look, you have more sympathy for a plant than you had for 120,000 souls in Nineveh. And some historians have said, based on the population possibly of Nineveh at that time, 
the 120,000 may have just been referring to fighting men. So it may have been actually, when you count everybody in Nineveh, a much larger population than that. But even if it's just 120,000, Jonah cared more for that plant that died than he did for 120,000 souls. He was ready to watch them burn. He was ready to watch them die for the sins they committed, and he was happy to do it. So you think for a minute now, okay, how in the world does this apply to me? How am I going to get a lesson out of this? I'm not going up here and sitting on some hill wanting, wanting to watch God destroy a city. Yeah, I care about people. Don't I? You know, the story of Jonah, we all know that Jonah ran away. God first told him to go preach to Nineveh, and he didn't. He ran. He ran to Tarshish. But it's not just the fact that Jonah ran. It's why he ran. What his mindset was through it. And like I said, maybe he was scared. It was a huge city. We looked at that. These were very evil people. And the chances of one person going into a city or a culture like that and being able to make a difference it was pretty slim to none. Of somebody just going in on their own with no help and being able to, to change something. But what it really seems more likely is, is Jonah didn't think these people were worthy. He didn't want them saved. He didn't want to see them saved. He was ready for these people to die. I'm sure that everybody around the area knew who Nineveh was. If they were this brutal of a people, a lot of people were probably scared of them. Jonah may have had family or something that were killed at the, hand, the hands of the Ninevites. We don't know that. But what we do know is from what Jonah said in chapter 4, verse 2, is he had no intentions of these people ever being saved. He said, God, I knew if you sent me here to preach to them, they were going to repent and you were going to stop and not destroy them. And I didn't want it. So I ran. But when this plant comes along to help him, that's okay. You know, I'm sitting out here in the wind and the sun, and it's, it's not very fun. God gave me a plant. That's great. But don't you take that plant away from me. I deserve that plant. I'm the righteous one here. I'm the faithful one in this story. I'm the one that deserves something. I deserve to be protected from the elements. I don't care about those people. I deserve something. I'm the faithful one to you, God, not them. Why are you sitting here letting me suffer while you give them a second chance? That's not fair. That's why Jonah said he was angry the second time, that he had a right to be angry even to the point that you might as well just kill me, God. Is it possible that sometimes we allow a temptation like that to grow in our hearts as Christians? And, and I know it's something that we don't always want to think about, but is it possible that I could have a prejudice against somebody to the point that I see myself as a Christian better than they are? Just because I'm in the Lord's church, somebody who's outside the church, I'm a little more special than they are. God sees me more valuable or me more important. You know, I, I come to worship. I, I, I read my Bible. I obey God's commands. Yeah, I mess up sometimes. We all do. But I repent. I ask God to forgive me. Why is it then that I don't deserve something because of that? I'm a good person. We're all good people. If we're not careful, we'll start seeing the world as being something less than what we are. Like somebody that's really not worthy of God's forgiveness. We're the only ones that should be getting that special treatment from God. 
And it's easy to think that just because we may come and we may drop our money in the plate and we give to God that we're special. That those people out there haven't done what I've done. You know, as a congregation, we talk a lot of times about wanting to reach out to the community. And a lot of prayers, you'll hear that, that we pray that God allows the, the Pippin congregation to kind of be a shining light to the community. But who are we thinking about when we say that? Are we thinking about people that are like us? People that have maybe gone through very similar life situations that we've gone through. And you know what? They're really trying hard, but they're just, they just can't get over that hump, and we're going to be there to help them get over the hump. There's somebody that I can go up and easily talk to because we're kind of in the same place in life. Is that who we think about when we say that we want Pippin to be an influence to this community? You know, we're told over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, God, he desires that all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There's not this special group out there that God wants to be saved and not others. Everybody deserves to hear this. Now, there's a lot of people in our community that are hurting, that, that are struggling. It, it may be from depression issues. There's, a, there's drug addiction. There's family problems. There's a lot of things going on. And a lot of times these issues, it, we see somebody and they seem to be secluded, a little bit of a recluse. They don't want to talk to people. Maybe they, we would say, live on the lower end of life or whatever. We don't know these people's lives. They may just be needing somebody to come out and to help them, to reach out to them. You see how quickly Nineveh turned around as soon as Jonah went in and started preaching to them. He didn't have to do a whole lot. It said he just went in and started preaching, and the king himself put his robe to the side and put on sackcloth and went and sat in ashes because of it. You may be saying, Jonathan, hold on a second. There's not a single person in Cookville that I wouldn't go talk to about the Bible. I don't know of anybody that I run into in my daily life that I would not be more than happy to share with them the story of Jesus, that what Jesus has done for them. So let's take it a little bit further. What if it's somebody of a completely different faith? And when I say that, I'm not meaning from a denomination standpoint. I'm meaning somebody who doesn't claim Christianity in the broad sense of the term. What if it's somebody who's an atheist? Do I see myself as a little bit better than they are? What if it's somebody who's of the Islamic faith? What if it's somebody that they, they proclaim themselves to be an enemy of Christianity? I could be talking to somebody, and even though they may not say it, they know deep down they see me as an infidel, that I don't deserve to live in their minds. Do I picture myself as being better than them? that I'm somebody that deserves something from God, they're not worthy of it. The way they live their life, they're not worthy of God's forgiveness and mercy. Even down to the point of, do I see that person's soul as being as valuable as not only my own soul, my children's soul? It's like, whoa, Jonathan, you're getting a little personal now. That's my children. Of course I see their souls as valuable. But you know what? As valuable as God sees the souls of Avery and Tucker and Ellie, he sees the soul of an atheist just as valuable. It's just as important to God. So why would I look at it any differently? You know, it's very common here. There's several missionaries that we support, and routinely they'll come and kind of give us an update on either a mission trip they've been on or some work that they're doing. And we watch these pictures on the slideshow, and we watch these videos, and it's, it's fascinating to watch and to learn about these different cultures and what they're going through. But a common thing that I've heard a lot 
And I'm sure if you ask any missionary, that's probably one of the most common things they hear when they go to a congregation, and I'm guilty of saying it myself, is saying, that's fantastic what you're doing. I couldn't do that. Why do we say that? Why do we say that we couldn't go do what they're doing? And it may be, I mean, we may have medical issues or something that would prevent us from going overseas for long periods of time, and that's understandable. But is it because we don't think we have the knowledge that's of the scripture necessary to go in to preach to somebody in another country? I would venture to say that everybody's sitting in this building right now, no matter how much you have studied your Bible, you probably have just as much, if not more, knowledge about the scripture than many of these people, these missionaries are going and talking to. That should not be a hindering factor. And if we don't know the scripture, whose fault's that? That's ours. We need to know the scripture. But is it also a, a little bit of, I, I'm not willing to leave what I have to go and do what you're doing. These missionaries that go out, they don't live extravagant lives. A lot of them may live kind of in fear of their own lives when they go out. And we've heard Brother Jack tell us about that when they go over to India, they're not supposed to be there preaching. The government has outlawed them going over and preaching of even coming into the country. So there may be a little bit of a fear to it, but is it because I'm not willing to give up my material blessings I have here? That I'm not willing to give up my own security to go and share the gospel with another soul that needs to hear it? Why can we not go and do what they do? And if we're not careful, this prejudice that Jonah had could very easily start to creep into our hearts and start to change the way that we look at other people and sometimes change the way we look at ourselves as being something special. And if we believe at some point that we deserve something because we're a Christian, don't ever let us get to that point that we think we're special. Yes, God has set his children apart, has sanctified them, but it's because of nothing that I've done. It's because of everything he's done. You know, the solution that God gave to Jonah, let's go back and read it again. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. And it said, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? Every single person on the face of this earth was created by God and was created in God's image. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just this congregation. It wasn't just Christians. It wasn't just Cookville. It wasn't even just America. Everybody who lives on the face of this earth was created in the image of God, and God desires for every one of us in this world to go to heaven. Period. No one group of people is any more special than anybody else. I didn't deserve to hear about the word of God. I didn't deserve for God to allow me to become a Christian. I chose sin. All of us did. When we sin, it's of our own volition that we did that, and so we chose to separate ourselves away from God. Why should I deserve for him to let me back? I don't deserve that, no more than anybody else does. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it told us that even though I was an enemy of God, he sent his son. God pitied Nineveh. God wanted Nineveh to be saved, just like God pitied all of us. God pitied you. He pitied me. And in that pity, he sent his son for Jesus to come and to die on that cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. We were no different than anybody else at that time. We didn't deserve it. We're not special people because of that. 
And you know what that means? It's not just the people in our community that need to hear this, that need to hear the gospel of Christ. ISIS needs to hear the gospel of Christ. That coworker that constantly makes fun of you because you go to this church over here, they need to hear the gospel. That bully at school that constantly picks on you and treats you like dirt, they need to hear the gospel. This individual who is openly living in a homosexual lifestyle, they need to hear the gospel. Somebody who is sitting behind prison bars right now, they need to hear the gospel. I'm not better than they are. I've just been privileged enough to get to hear it already. They need to hear it as well. God meant for every interaction we have with somebody, when we speak to every single person, doesn't matter who it is, that we speak to them the truth in love every time. That was God's solution to Jonah. And it's a command that I think we all need to take, take a serious consideration of our own hearts is do I do that on a daily basis to everybody I interact with? There's people in this world that think they have it all figured out. Nineveh, I'm sure, thought they had it all figured out. But it said in verse 11 here, it said, these people can't even discern their right hand from their left. They don't even know which direction they're going. These people need help. They need somebody to come in and to proclaim the gospel of Christ to them. And that's what Jonah's job was. And that's a job that he has given all of us. And it's not just a suggestion from God that we go do this. It's commanded. We have a responsibility as somebody that has heard this message to go and make sure others hear it as well. Now, I asked Adam to read or to sing this song right before the sermon. The gospel is for all. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn to it again in your books, number 632. And I shared this, the backstory of this song a little bit uh, last Sunday afternoon. We have the um, the singing we had right after the congregational meeting is back in 1921, a man by the name of John McCaleb wrote this. And the reason he wrote this is because he was frustrated that he was working as a missionary over in Japan. And, and everybody knows the relationship that America's had with Japan back in the early 1900s with wars and everything else. It, it was a little bit of a rocky relationship. And there was there was nobody he could get to go with him to Japan to try to preach to these people. I mean, it was kind of this no-man's land from a missionary standpoint, and it frustrated him so much that he couldn't get anybody to go with him that he wrote these words and listened to them. Of one the Lord has made the race, through one has come the fall. Where sin has gone must go his grace. The gospel is for all. Say not the heathen are at home. Beyond we have no call, for why should we be blessed alone? The gospel is for all. Received ye freely, freely give. From every land they call, unless they hear, they cannot live. The gospel is for all. Freely given, freely give. I was given the gospel of Christ. Somebody told it to me at one time when I didn't deserve it. Why should I hold it to myself? I need to make sure others can hear this same thing. They deserve to get to hear it. You know, and if you look at the book of Jonah at the end of chapter 4, it ends on a question. It kind of seems a little odd. I mean, it's like there's no real way the book wraps itself up. It just kind of hangs out there. And if you think about it, are we as Christians an unfinished book? Until Jonah was willing to put away the prejudice he had for these people at Nineveh, 
the work wasn't finished. If we as Christians can't put away any prejudice we may have in our hearts thinking that we're special, that these people who are outside the Lord's church, they don't deserve this. We're the ones that deserve special treatment. We deserve all these things God has given to us, not them. If we have any, any type of thought about that in our minds, and our hearts, just like the book of Jonah, we're not finished. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of changing to do. Just as God had pity on Nineveh, he's had pity on me. He's had pity on you. He's had pity on everybody. He's had pity on this entire, not just the world today, but the world throughout history. And just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of that fish, years and years later, that pity of God was brought to life by a member of the Godhead going and spending three days inside the belly of the earth. And it was because of his able to overcome death, his blood being shed on that cross, that's the epitome of the pity that God had for us, for you and for me, for everybody else in eternity. And we need to make sure that everybody can hear that message. And, and if you're thinking this morning that you know God just doesn't love you, there's things that you have in your life that are too bad right now, you've never really become a Christian because there's too many things you still got to work on, I'm not good enough right now. We're no more special than you are. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We're all here to help each other work through this thing called life and to make sure that other people get to hear about it. If you haven't put on Christ in baptism, if you haven't allowed that blood of Christ to change you, to make you a new man, I encourage you to do that this morning. Let us study with you further if it's necessary. If you're ready now, we can baptize you this morning. Or maybe you're one that you've, you've kind of looked at the outside world a little bit differently than you look at yourself. That maybe they're, they're not worthy of hearing this. These people out there in, in the Middle East we hear about in other areas, that they would rather see my head chopped off than talk to me. Do I have a prejudice against those people? Or do I understand that they need to hear the gospel of Christ? Do I have areas in, in my life or your life that may fall short? and that you need prayers of this congregation. So if you may have a need in your life, we ask that you come as we stand and we sing.